Hello and welcome to Dare to Use the F Word, the podcast that brings you stories about how millennials are taking on feminist ideas and making them their own. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas. And I'm Adair Klein-Peter Ross, Barnard Class of 2014. Dare to Use the F Word is a production of Barnard College and the Barnard Center for Research on Women. This episode is the first of two in a series. We normally focus on the work of young feminists in the United States. Most of the people we've spoken with so far have been New York locals, but in these episodes, we're going to focus on millennial feminists from Kenya, Georgia, Nepal, and Afghanistan. We thought we'd bring in Adair today because of the unique content of these shows. Adair is a research assistant with the Barnard Center for Research on Women, and she has a background in international issues relating to women. So Adair, can you explain what you've been working on recently? Sure. In the past couple of months, I've been living abroad, first in Morocco, where I was studying domestic violence in the capital, which is Rabat. After that, I went on to South Africa, where I established a sex education program at a high school in Nyanga Township in Cape Town. Nyanga Township has some of the highest rates of rape, not only in South Africa, but in the world. Back at Barnard, I'm a research consultant with a UN development project team based in Bangkok, where we're looking at the experience of being LGBT in various countries in East and Southeast Asia. So today we have stories of the work of three young women from around the world, Mary, Nini, and Mina. They all grew up in communities where it was difficult for women to access education and to realize their potential. Not only have they managed to leave these contexts and gain further education, but now they've come back and are working towards bettering their own communities. We asked these women to tell us their stories while they were visiting Bryn Mawr College for the convening of the Women in Public Service Project. We'll start off with Mary Mwende's story. Mary grew up in Mombasa, Kenya. My name is Mary. I'm 23 years old and I'm from Kenya. I grew up in a family of seven children where I was the second born and the first born girl. We weren't very privileged in terms of finances, so it was pretty hard growing up. And especially, you know, being a girl and with cultural restrictions, it's very hard to access things like education and all that. But my parents were very, very good to us. My mother did not really get to get through with her education. She was married off at the age of around 14. But she made sure that all her girls, and we are four girls in my family and three boys, all her children literally went to school. But it was difficult still because um, we had to pay and they were not very able to do that. And then after graduating from primary school, I, I did really well because I really had to. Because if you don't do well um, and if you don't have money, you really cannot access high school education. You have to work really hard so that you can maybe get a scholarship or something of that sort. Luckily enough, I got a scholarship to study in a girls' school in Kenya, Nairobi. And from there on, my life, you know, changed. Mary was one of the few girls who were lucky enough and did well enough academically to be chosen as a member of the first class of the Starehe Girls' Center which is a boarding school that offers secondary education to financially disadvantaged girls in Kenya. So everything surrounding me was um, all about women and girls. And I got to interact with different girls from different backgrounds and what they had gone through, what they had struggled and survived. 
I had these two friends of mine who had undergone female genital mutilation and I thought that was just one of the most atrocious things to ever do to a girl. So I started writing about it. I told their stories and um, together with some other nine girls we started a website. The website that Mary and her friends created is called Hey Sister Get Clued Up and while it's no longer an active platform you can still visit the site to see some of the things they wrote about including several posts about local women's personal experiences with female genital mutilation. When I was in, uh, in high school Linda Lockhart, the founder and CEO of the Global Give Back Circle, she came to Kenya in 2006 and started this mentorship program where she would match professional women who are successful in their careers with girls who need mentoring. And I was among the first girls to be chosen into the program. And she was so passionate about mentorship of girls and she was one of my inspirations to actually start looking closely into girls' situation, especially in my country. When Lockhart went to talk about the program at the Clinton Global Initiatives event in New York, she brought Mary and two other Give Back girls with her. Mary met Bill Clinton there, who arranged for her and the other girls to attend the American University of Dubai through the Clinton Scholarship Program. In 2012, Mary became the first African and second female president of her college class. The girls who are back at home, they look up to people like me who have, you know, who have somehow made it in life as role models. So in a way, it's indirect mentorship that I think my life does. She may be an indirect mentor living by example now, but as part of the Global Give Back Circle, Mary will go on to mentor young people in her home country of Kenya. Mary just graduated from the American University of Dubai and is currently applying to graduate schools to study public policy. The next story is from Mina Sharma. She grew up in Nepal during the Nepalese Civil War, or the People's War, which was launched by the Communist Party of Nepal and lasted between 1996 and 2006. My name is Mina Sharma. At the age of 13, I, I remember that uh, my parents, they find a guy for my marriage. As my mother got married at the age of seven, so that was the tradition, and uh, I was uh, young enough to get married at the age of 13. It's all my mother's decision. She said that, no, you say no, because uh, I don't want to spoil your life like my, like my. Uh, you have to say no and I'll be with you. And for me, I have to take very strong decision at that time and I say, okay, I don't want to marry. And uh, that was the U-turn for me to think about. I'm not going to follow the same tradition that followed by my mother, my grandmother and all my friends. To do, to speak, to go out, of, out from her house, everything was decided by my family. So I want to break all those boundaries. I was able to get my education though with uh, a lot of problems, but uh, I am working with women in our community on uh, raise their awareness level and uh, raise, their, uh, raise their skill and uh, increase their participation at decision-making levels. In 2008, Mina started working as a member of a fact-finding mission. Her job was to report human rights abuse cases to the National Human Rights Commission. So she looked into things like the number of people killed or injured or the number of buildings that burned down. She started speaking with individuals who had been irreparably affected by the war, 
Many of these people had been children during the war and lived in camps created by the Maoists, or the Communist Party of Nepal. Mina refers to these camps as Maoist cantonments. It, it was easy for Maoists to manipulate children. At that time, uh, Maoists was like an armed group. Children joined armed group because they were fascinated by the, the guns and the, uh, the arms and ammunition, the first thing. And second thing, because of a uh, uh, lack of enough food, people joined armed, armed group. So they used children in the form of spy, in the form of messenger, and uh, uh, the children used to cook food for them. So children were trained on uh, making bombs, how to make bombs and how to use guns. So in in every fight, in every fight, the, uh, we saw a number of children, children below 16 years, 18 years, taking the lead role, working as a frontline fighter. We had a lot of children killed during conflict. The United Nations mission in Nepal verified that 9,000 child soldiers were living in Maoist cantonment training camps. Many of them were girls. Mina says that the post-war situation is particularly difficult for them. The situation of my girls, previously they have some, some place to live, they have some families, but now when they are out of cantonment, they don't have any place to go. In Nepal, uh, we are divided in different caste and um, different ethnicity. So still the caste system is very, very strong. And most of the Mahist girls who joined uh, at that time, most of them are from lower caste. And uh, during the war, they got married with the guy from higher caste. But now, after coming out from the cantonment, after this peace accord, uh, now they are not accepted by their own parents because they got married to a guy from high caste. So, so they are not allowed to go with their mothers. And they are also not allowed to go to their in-laws family because uh, most of the girls, they are from the lower caste. So they are nowhere. Most of them, they, are, they said that we want to commit suicide. We don't want to live with all this guy in, throughout life. So life is very, very miserable, for, especially for young girls in our context. I have two children, um, a boy and a girl, but I am trying to teach my daughter that you are no more different than the boy in the family. I am paying special attention to my girl to grow up in a family, uh, in a society where she can flourish as much as the boy. And I want them to live in a society where we don't have any discrimination against boy and girl, no discrimination among the classes like high caste, low caste. So I want to live in a very um, equitable society. Mina works for Search for Common Ground Nepal, which is an organization that helps child soldiers and other conflict-affected youth. Our final recording today is of Nini Shanturia, who grew up in Georgia. I am Nini Chanturia, 23 years old from Georgia. I was the only child in my family and I'm really very uh, thankful to my mother and father that uh, they gave me the ability to think from childhood that uh, there is no matter you are a girl and or you are a boy. You can have a uh, equal access to education and you can play a really like equal role in a civil society but there are a lot of other cases 
and especially in uh, rural areas that uh, women and young girls are not uh, allowed to access education and to be equally involved. We had gone through terrible wars in Georgia. Women were struggling for surviving and I got really interested in uh, these issues. Georgia was involved in a civil war between 1991 and 1994, which had many documented civil rights abuses, including targeted deaths of women, children, and the elderly. Nini lived through the wars and noticed that a lot of the people who were affected were not being represented politically. I really do believe that women can make a change and they have a very Uh, let's say maybe some kind of different approach. When Nini was 17, she joined the Women's Democracy Network, an initiative to increase women's political participation and leadership. I went at the first meeting and women who are sitting together and who are talking about what kind of problems Georgia is facing right now. We were working in uh, cafes, uh, we were meeting at homes and uh, thinking how we can help uh, women and girls. So there are quite a lot of barriers which women face in Georgia. They are very smart, but uh, they don't have an access and we are empowering them to be uh, leaders in their communities, in their political parties. Depending on the regions, there are different stories. We have some regions where uh, domestic violence uh, against women is, uh, there's a very high percentage. So uh, I can tell you a story of uh, one hour a participant who is really very active, very smart, but who has passed through the very difficult life. Uh, she was very young age when she got married and she was the, let's say, a victim of a domestic violence. She is raising two child and she's working. She doesn't have a house. She even didn't know where to go. But I was inspired so much, you, if you can see uh, and talk to her, you will see that how powerful and how strong she is because she is still very active. She's uh, involved in a political party, so she's, uh, she wants to make a difference. So when I, when I saw that women, that they are doing so much, I do have a hope that uh, we will make a change. In 2011, Nini became the chairwoman of the Women's Democracy Network. You can read more about her and about the other two women that we've heard about today at wpsp.blogs.brynmar.edu. In the next half of the series, we devote an entire episode to the story of a 17-year-old girl who survived her father's self-immolation, lived in an Afghan prison, was separated from her home and her family, and is now working to improve the lives of women and children in Afghanistan. It's really hard in Afghanistan to make changes if you don't have power. I want to be in parliament in Afghanistan and uh, fight for human and women's rights. Thank you to Rodney Matthews with Bryn Mawr and Jessica Burns with the Women in Public Service Project. Thanks to our guests, Mary Muende, Mina Sharma, and Nini Shantoria. And a special thanks to Sarah Dooley, who composed our theme, and to my co-host, Adair Klein-Peter Ross. 
Check out the website for the Barnard Center for Research on Women at bcrw.barnard.edu and send your questions, comments, and ideas for future shows to bcrw at barnard.edu. That's all we have for today, but Adair would like to leave you with Adair. Use the F word. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay.